0: far exceeds any sacrifice that anyone can make. 2 Peter 3.18 says this, and I encourage you, 2 Peter 3.18, this is something we all should consider daily. Peter writes, grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. When we understand what he's done for us, how he humiliated himself, how in Philippians 2, 5 through 8, it talks about God coming down, taking on the form of a man and dying for us. We can see that God loves us above all. As a matter of fact, the Lord once told me, To try to I try to remember to do this. God said, Tell my people, they are worth nothing less than the price that I paid for them. With my own precious life blood of my covenant son. You may have heard someone say to you growing up, you're worthless. You'll never amount to anything. And sometimes people will pray and they'll say, Oh, Lord, we're so worthless. And I want to jump up and I want to say, No, no, no. We've got great worth to God. Great worth. We may be undeserving. Yes, we don't deserve anything God did for us. But he puts a high value on us and the heart of the everlasting gospel of the lamb who was slain from the foundation of the world is the incarnation of christ the death of christ his crucifixion and his resurrection god has always planned to save humanity in the person of jesus christ you know it's interesting If you don't understand why this was such... How can I say this? To think of the sacrifice to me of our God coming down and taking on our flesh. It's a permanent sacrifice. The cross, he came up out of the grave and rose victoriously. But listen to this. Luke 24... 36 through 39 is talking about after the resurrection. Jesus is showing the nail wounds in his hands to prove it was him, that he wasn't a ghost. He was flesh and blood. But he said to them, A spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. He walked the earth 40 days after his resurrection. He ate with him. And according to the scriptures, he ascended to heaven in that flesh. He will return in the flesh. Acts 11 says, The same Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will so come in a like manner as you saw him go into heaven. So, What is it saying? It's saying that his physical presence has been limited because he became the last Adam. He replaced the first Adam through whom death came to all of us. Jesus became the last covenant son of God, the one who would be the representative of mankind at the throne of God. He is mysteriously fully God but fully man. But he has limited his physical presence forever. And what? how does he live with us now? Listen to this. Ephesians 3, 16 through 21, Paul is praying for the Ephesians. And he says, I pray that you'll be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man, that Christ, this is Chapter 3, verse 17 of Ephesians. That Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith that you being rooted and grounded in love. Now, let me stop. How does Christ dwell in our hearts? He's going to go on to say it's through the power of the Holy Spirit because they are one. Christ dwells in our hearts through faith. When we receive the Holy Spirit, God the Father and the Son dwell in us through faith. But he says this, and it's so great, that you being rooted and grounded in love, some people in the church are rooted and grounded in fear. Some people are baptized because they don't want to, you know, they accept the Lord as their Savior because they don't want to suffer the second death. You've got to be rooted and grounded in love. Grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord. God loves you so much. And and he goes on and he says that you might know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge, that you can be filled with all the fullness of God. And then he says God's able to do exceedingly abundantly above anything we can ask or think think according to his power. And this is that dynamite power that we're strengthened through the spirit in our inner man. When you understand God's love for you, let me tell you something. You're going to see a powerful change in your life. I promise you, you will not soak around feeling self-pity. You will not be fearful of God. And then I love what Paul says. He can't think of any other words. He talks about the width, the breadth, the length, the depth, and the height of God's love. The breadth of God's love is it extends to all people. The length, it extends to all time. The depth, it extends to the lowest human condition and the height to the heavens. God wants to transform us. John 3:16 says he saves us from the penalty of sin. Listen, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That only begotten means it's a covenant term. He was chosen when he came down to earth. He was a covenant son, begotten of God, chosen to fulfill the everlasting covenant. And then he goes on, he says, that whoever believes in him, Jesus Christ, should not perish. That word perish means complete, utter destruction. If you believe in Christ and trust in him for salvation, you're not going to be utterly destroyed when God remakes the new earth. But it says you will have everlasting life two choices, you can end up utterly destroyed or have everlasting life. He saves us from the power of sin. First John 3, 8 says, He who sins is of the devil, for the devil sinned from the beginning, and for this purpose the Son of God was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. And the beautiful thing is he is going to save us from the presence of sin. When you consider Revelation 21, 4, it says, God will wipe away every tear from our eyes and there's going to be no more death or sorrow or crying, no more pain because the former things have passed away. I don't know about you. Recently, I found myself watching the news and afterwards I sigh and I cry. And I'm not talking little or literal tears, but I feel like my soul is weeping. And I go before the Lord and it's like, Lord, how can people do this? How can evil like this exist? And you know, Jesus said in John 10, 10, the thief, the devil comes not but to still kill and destroy. But then he says, I've come that you may have Abundant life. Satan is the one who operates by the love of power. God's kingdom operates by the power of love. So, when we consider the Ten Commandments, I just want to say something. The Ten Commandments are God's law of love. The first four are about love to God. The next six on the second tablet, are about love to mankind. And some people see that as being a restriction. I don't. When I look at the commandments, I think of God has, has kind of hedged me in to keep me on that narrow path of life, but he lets me run freely. He enlarges my steps, and I have this abundant life living within the parameters of his Ten Commandments. Isaiah 48, 18. Listen, you can get the point of God, his heart, his motivation for giving us his commandments. It's not that God's up there saying, all right, do it like this. No, that's not our God. Listen to his heart. Isaiah 48, 18. Oh, that you had heeded my commandments. Then your peace would have been like a river and your righteousness like the waves of the sea. God wants you to experience peace. That perfect sense of being settled, of being secure, of being comforted, He wants peace for you. And he wants righteousness for you. In fact, he imparts his righteousness to us when the Holy Spirit is living in us. And Christ's righteousness is actually imputed or credited to our account. God is not a God who is restrictive and stern. God is a God that everything he does is motivated by love. Everything he does is for your eternal benefit because our life here on this earth is a vapor. It's just a split second on the line of eternity. God wants you in heaven. He wants you to be on the earth made new. Romans 5:8 says God demonstrates his own love for us in that while we were still sinners Christ died for us. Do you think you are unworthy of God's love? Think again. God can't help but love you. That's who he is. And why wouldn't we trust a love like that. We've got to know God to recognize His call on our lives. We need to surrender. But we also need to recognize His infinite knowledge. You know, we're, we think we're pretty smart. We think that uh, it all started in the Garden of Eden. The fruit of the knowledge of good and evil. Just one fruit. It wasn't some black fruit, some red fruit. One fruit. The point is the knowledge. God didn't want us to experience evil. But as soon as we choose the fruit from that tree, as soon as we say, I'll be my own God, I'll decide what's good for me, I'll decide what's bad for me, then we're going to experience the consequences of evil. God has an intelligence and a power that is superior to ours. Isaiah 55:9 9 says this. This is God speaking. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my thoughts higher, than, or my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. I want to tell you something. There is no human, whether he is a scientist, a philosopher, a theologian, a pastor. There's nobody that completely understands God's ways. They're beyond our comprehension. What God calls, He gives us plenty of information as to who He is. And He says to us, come and learn to trust Me. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own limited understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him, and He will direct your path. See, knowing God, when you understand His love, when you understand that he is a God who, as he says in Isaiah 46:10, that he sees the end from the beginning and he declares it to be so, saying, my counsel shall stand. We don't see the end from the beginning. Thank God. Thank God we don't. But God does. He looks at us. He sees us. If you're in Christ, he sees you as a finished project. He knows you're under construction, but he knows what's coming. So we cannot, just because we don't understand God, if we just recognize his love for us, recognize his plan for us, then what will happen is we'll trust Him. Our God is all-knowing. He is a friend, not a foe. And you know what? He wants to be your life coach. He says in Jeremiah 29, 11 through 14, I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. But then He says this, then you will call upon me and come and pray to me. When? When do we call upon God and come and pray to him? When we recognize he's a benevolent God and he's got a good plan, a plan that's so much better than the one we're living. When we see God as this all-loving being who has our eternal benefit in mind, then... We call upon him and come and pray to him. And God says, I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. You, I'll be found by you. Why wouldn't we trust a God of such superior knowledge? If we know his love, know his knowledge, we're ready to surrender. But there is a third thing I want us to consider in our short time today. We need to recognize God's exceedingly great power. His power is limitless. In Isaiah 46, 9 through 10, he says, Remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is no other. There is no other God. He says, I am God and there is none like me. Any other God is a counterfeit, set up and established, I'll say, by Satan. He says, I declare the end from the beginning and from ancient times the things to come. God will accomplish his will in every situation. You can't thwart it, but he will never force you. God's power is creative. The word in the beginning when God created, it's Barah. And it's only used of God. God can create something out of nothing. Our creativity, we're using things that are around us. But all the heavens and the earth were created by God who became a person. Listen to this. I love it. Our creator is the one who came down and took on the flesh in the person of Jesus Christ. In Colossians 1.16, it says, For by him, speaking of the person of Jesus Christ, all things were created, both in the heavens and on the earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been made through him and by him. Jeremiah said, Ah, Lord God, you have made the heavens and the earth by your great arm and your outstretched power. There's nothing too hard for you. That's Jeremiah 32:17. And then I love what the psalmist says in Psalm 100, verse 3. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us. You didn't crawl out, your ancestors didn't crawl out of some primordial pool of sludge. No, God created you in His image. And you know, I, I, I'm going to tell you a quick story. hope I have time. I interviewed a policeman from San Francisco. He worked with the gangs, kids who were uh, incarcerated, And when he went in and he worked with these kids, they all thought they came from monkeys. But once they realized where they came from, once they realized who created them, their whole attitude on life changed. And he said it was a remarkable transformation. We cannot buy all of this garbage of evolution. We have to trust the word of the Lord. Do you not know his power? You know what Jesus said in Mark twelve twenty four. He said that some people are mistaken in their beliefs because you do not know the scriptures or the power of God. If you don't understand who God is, find someone that can help you in a study or get online, go to Amazing Facts, pick up their Bible studies online or Voice of Prophecy or It Is Written. There's so many good online Bible studies. Learn for yourself. Don't accept what someone has told you in the past. Learn for yourself because with God, Jesus says, all things are possible. God's power Is protective and sustaining. Hebrews 1 3 says that Jesus propels, he maintains, he sustains all of the universe by his mighty word of power. And he never gets weary. Isaiah 40 28 and 29 says, Have you not known? Have you not heard the everlasting God, the Lord? The creator of the ends of the earth, he neither faints nor is weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the weak and to those who have no might. He increases understanding. One of my favorite verses is First Peter 1, 3 through 5. Here he's talking about we are kept by the power of God for salvation that and will be ready to be revealed in the last time. Remember what we said about Ephesians 3.16 is that we are strengthened with might, dynamite, with the power of God when the Holy Spirit indwells us. God's power is yours if you will surrender to him. And 2 Peter 1, 3 through 4 says his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Did you hear that? By his divine power. God gives us everything we need when we call on him. He's just waiting for us to call. So many of us suffer through our consequences rather than going to God and saying, help me overcome. But then he goes on. He says, through the knowledge of him who called us by his glory and virtue. And this is 2 Peter 1, 4. By which, by God's glory and virtue have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises that through these promises and not one word of God's promises have ever failed. There's still many to to be fulfilled in the future, but you can count on that. You can count on Philippians 1, 6, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it because he says he's given us his exceedingly great and precious promises that through these promises, you may become partakers of the divine nature. Oh, hallelujah. Think about that. You know, I think of DNA, spiritual DNA, DNA, devil's nature acquired. That's kind of what condition we're in before we come to God. But here he's talking about when we accept God's promises, we can acquire the divine nature, DNA, the divine nature acquired. He will cause you to be a new creation and the old will be gone. Now, I just have to say this one thing. God's plan of salvation isn't that you fret with a furrowed brow trying to be accepted by him. God's plan of salvation isn't by works. It's by grace. And he will empower you to do the good works he created you to do. Listen to what Jesus said. In Luke 18, 17, he lets us know that God's plan of salvation is a life of total dependence upon God. Luke 18, 17, Assuredly, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God as a little child will by no means enter it. You know what? Children have no resources of their own. They live in a state of trusting dependence and we've got to abandon our pride and depend on our god paul heard the lord say to him and it's recorded in second corinthians 12:9 jesus told paul my grace is sufficient for you for my strength is made perfect in your weakness do you know that are you trusting that God can strengthen you to do all things through Christ Jesus? He can. Why wouldn't we trust a power like that? Like Isaiah, we've got to know God to recognize His call. And that's the first step of surrender, knowing God. Then we have to Stop resisting his love. Stop resisting his plan. Submit to his authority so that we can receive his call. And then to respond to his call, it's the third step of surrender. It is yielding to the Holy Spirit's power. I'm so glad that you joined us, and I hope that you will be able to join us next time for receiving the call of God, part two. Let me say a quick prayer for you. Father, we come in the name of Jesus. Help us, O Lord, to recognize, receive, and respond to your call for abundant life here and eternal life everlasting. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us.